This morning, the entertainment value is going to be low. I'm going to warn you, okay? We've been jumping all over the scriptures every night, taking here a little and there a little. But tonight, I just, this morning, I have a, a burden on my heart. Last night's presentation is one that I feel very passionately about. How many were here last night? Something I think so many people need to understand. But the question has always been, well, Herb, what about the book of Job? How does that fit in with your presentation? Because on the surface, it appears to say almost the opposite of what we said last night. Did anybody catch that? So finally, for the first time in human history, Herb Montgomery is going to do a presentation on the book of Job. And you guys are the guinea pigs to see how it's going to go. All right. So let's open up our Bibles. And let's look at what the book of Job has to say for us. In Job chapter 1, it says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was three things. He was blameless, he was upright, and he, fearing God, turning away from evil. I want you to underline those. He was what, number one? Blameless. Number two, he was upright. Number three, he feared whom? Turning away from evil. It's important that we understand that and we establish that as a foundation. Because it's about to change. Are you hearing me? And some people don't believe that about the book of Job. But let's see if something transpires. Verse 6 it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now those of you who have looked at this, who are they? The sons of God. Who are they? Nope, they're not angels. This is going to stretch your postmodern mind a bit. Yeah, look at it. Luke 3, look in your gray section. It says, Luke 3, starting verse 23, When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of whom? Who was the son of? Who was the son of? And we are not going to go through this whole list, okay? But everybody's the son of somebody here until it gets all the way down to Enosh, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of? Who was the? Son of God. So it would assume, we would assume with all the sons of God, remember in Ephesians 3 verse 10, Paul talks about the, uh, the heavenly principalities and the principalities and powers that are in heavenly places. We are not the only thing God's ever created. Are you with me? And we like to term angels, but angels aren't the only thing God's ever created either. Could there be the possibility that when it says here, sons of God, what we're talking about is the representative heads of all of the creations that God has ever created. There's the possibility that's could be what th that could be what this is. And if that's true, Luke 3 says that Adam is a son of God. And if Adam's the son of God and all the sons of God are meeting, where should Adam be right now in the book of Job? In heaven. He should be at this meeting, should he not? But he's missing it. Why is Adam missing it? Because he's dead. Because he's dead. And someone else is there in his place. It says Satan also came among them. Now the history of this book is very important at this stage. What, how did the book of Job come about? It is believed to be the oldest book of the Bible. The one that was first written. How did it come about? Who is it believed that wrote it? They believe it's Moses that wrote this book. And in what context did Moses write it? This is before he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all that whole, the Pentateuch. He's out in the wilderness having 
fleed because he was a murderer. And what question is on Moses' heart as he's in the wilderness? Thinking about his people, what question is on his heart? Talk to me. Talk to me. Why? Not why me. Why what? Why? Are you here this morning? If you're here, say yes. yes. All right, you are. Why are God's people being oppressed by the Egyptians? He is asking if God is so good and we are God's people, then what? Why? It would appear that his faith, to a degree, is wavering. He's seeing a worldview that doesn't match up with his religious beliefs. The chosen people are now slaves. Doesn't sound too chosen, does it? And so God gives him the book of Job, and here comes Satan right in the beginning. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Now in the Hebrew here, we don't get the full import of this in the English. God is not initiating something here with Job. Some have said, if God knew what was about to transpire, why did God pick the fight with Satan here? Anyone ever wrestled with that here in the beginning? Anybody here ever wrestled? No? Anybody here ever read the book of Job? Are we scratched on from scratch? It's almost here, though, instead, what God is doing here is roll call. It wasn't just Satan. He's going down through all of the sons of God and saying, where do you represent? Where are you from? Where are you coming from? Who are you? He's, he's making sure everybody's present and accounted for. Are you with me? And then he gets to Satan and he's like, where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from rowing about on the earth and walking around on it. Where is Satan claiming to be the representative head of? Here. Who should be there? But Adam, remember, submitted his dominion when he sinned, when he rebelled. To whom? So Satan is there claiming that he is now the son of God from planet earth. Now Gabriel was a son of God. I'm sorry, Satan was a son of God already, was he not? He was the first of where? Second only to whom? Of the angels. He was the, the head. Now we believe as Adventists, though we have not a lot of biblical evidence. I'm sure we could stretch some of it. But as Adventists, we believe that Gabriel took Lucifer's position when he fell. That he now stands as a covering cherub. So Satan lost one position, but he regained another one through whose choices? So why is Satan here today? First of all, who's free? Remember what we talked about last night? Whose free choice was it that put Satan among this list? It was ours. It was a human being somewhere's, wasn't it? And God's saying, when God's not challenging Satan's claim, God's challenging whose claim here? I'm sorry, we don't like this part. Our claim. But he's challenging it also with another human being. Have you considered my servant who? Job. Job. And this is, there's another possibility here. And I wish you could go back in the Hebrew and read it. I wish they taught Hebrew in elementary schools. Yes. You don't need it. Yes, you 
but it would be an advantage here. Do you consider Job? People in Abraham's day believed that Abraham was starting a new religion. You aware of that? Abraham was quite unique in how he saw God. Some people have said, well, Herb, you're starting a new... No. This is the way we, we were supposed to always see God. Amen? When we come to the story of Noah, have there been moments in earth's history when God only had one faithful on planet earth? Have there been those moments? Yeah. Where only one person saw God correctly. Yeah. We know Noah proves that's a possibility. I would like to suggest to you that God is not picking on Job at all. He is not singling Job out here at all. We could be dealing with another time period where Job was all God had. Are you hearing me? Someone who really saw God as he truly is. So God says, have you considered my servant Job? There is, and this is why I say this, what does it say? No one like him on on the earth. He's it. Are you hearing me? And it says, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. That is a huge testament, is it not? It says, then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Now watch the subtle argument as it unfolds. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he'll surely curse, curse you to your face. What is Job implying here about Job? That he's really following who? The principles of? Talk to me. Capitalism. Thanks, Daryl. Self-preservation. Your kingdom you claim is other-centeredness, God. You think Job's serving you? Job's only in this for what he can get for himself. That scares me. Because if Satan were to hold many of us Christians up under the same test... We would fail at this point. Because there's a lot of us that are only in it. Because if we serve God, we'll go to heaven and not hell. Not saying you specifically, I'm not accusing you, but there's a lot of Christians. That's their experience, are they not? They wouldn't, they wouldn't sustain this kind of questioning. It's important that we learn to serve God for different reasons, amen? For other-centered reasons. But he's accusing Job, and he doesn't just accuse Job here of being self-centered. You realize that Satan, the principle of selflessness, Satan hates that principle. How many realize that? He denies its very existence. He doesn't even believe God is selfless. Do you understand that tonight? He thinks it's a big lie. And he says even here, he's implying, not only is Job serving you just because of how you bless him, He's just in it for the goods, God. But you only bless him because he'll serve you. So really, God, even you aren't selfless. Yeah. 
And what does God, what option does God have? Remember last night we said there are three categories. Things God could prevent and he does. Things God could prevent but he chooses not to. And those of you who weren't here last night, I'm sorry, this is going to be a challenge. There's a third category in the Bible. Things God wants to prevent but he can't. Now some have said, Herb, it seems like here, this is category number two. God could have done something else, but he chose to allow Job to be tested. If Job is the only one like this on planet earth, who's really serving God for other centered reasons, really blameless and upright, the only one what options does God have at this point? Can you think of any? This is, the really, this is the Achilles heel of the whole book. What options does God have at this point? Any ideas? What could he do? Let's brainstorm. What could he do? Kill them all and start over. Yep. Someone said that to me the other day. They said, Herb, why don't we just start our own church? I said, why? So 150 years from now, we can be struggling with the same things we are today? Why? No, let's make this work. Amen. Don't reinvent the wheel. Fix it. Yeah, God could wipe it out and start all over, but what would be the result of that? Same thing, Same thing eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody heard of Noah? What else could he do? Talk to me. What other options could he do at this point? This is, this is real key. What else could he do? Yeah, and then they just kill him. Because that's what he did. He did that. He could argue. And I think that's what he does. He begins to argue here. He's contesting everything Satan's saying. What else could he do? He could ignore it. Yeah, he could say, sit down, shut up, no more questions. Next point on the agenda. What would that have produced? Talk to me. What would that have, what would that have set in motion? Oh, God's hiding something. What else could he do? He could destroy Satan. Yeah, he could do that. What would that have produced? I would suggest that God had only one viable option here. In other words, he wasn't choosing between this or this. He had only one viable option. And if that's true, then the book of Job is not category three, two, sorry. It's not category two. It's category three where God wants to prevent Job from going through any of this. Are you hearing me? It is not God's will for Job to suffer in this book. But once again, God's hands become tied through the great controversy and he wants to prevent this from transpiring. He sees where it's headed, but he, category number three, he what? Can't. And then we step in to the book of Job. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, he does all he can here. All that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. It would seem that God did have two options. But his options were just in how much Job suffered. And he would hope we could get away with as little suffering on the part of Job as possible. Job 1. All hell breaks loose in Job's life. 
It says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and what? I don't understand that. But he worshiped and he said, now careful, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return, I shall return there. The Lord, what? And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Does anyone else have a problem with what Job just said? What's the problem? And we sing it. He gives and takes away. You know that song? Great song, but awful lyrics right there. Change them. Change them. Because in the end of Job, you're going to find out Job repents for saying this. He changes the way he looks at things. Because at this point, he's saying God gave and God what? Is it really God here that's taking anything away from Job? Who is it? But is Job seeing things correctly yet? No. So please don't pray that prayer. Please. It says, and he blessed the name of the Lord. He didn't understand God, but he was still blessing him. Are you with me? Trusting. Trusting, That's right. Although he didn't understand. Job 1 verse 22, through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he what? Now some say, well, wait a second, Herb. He just said the Lord takes away. That sounds like blame to me. In the Hebrew, it means charge God with wrong. He believed that God was responsible for what was happening to him. But he trusted that God was not doing something that was wicked here. Are you hearing me? He did not charge God with error. It's not a sin to be mad at God. But we're going to see that things change in the book of Job. At this point, he didn't blame God. Watch the progression. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. At this point, we're going to move quickly through the rest of the book. This is going to be the cliff notes on the book of Job. Are you with me? We're going to do the whole book in half an hour. Have you fastened your seatbelts? Here we go. We've laid a foundation. It says, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also was among them again to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Here we go again. Roll call. Where have you come from? And it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He's, he's saying, Listen, not everybody down there serves you. He's not. Have you considered? You tested him. Taking it away at all. Everything that you said was his reason for worshiping me. You took it away. And what's he still doing? Interesting, isn't that Satan? And wouldn't it have been nice if it stopped right there? This was God's first plan to have it done with at this point over. But the devil doesn't give up easily. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Do you see God reluctantly going, stepping in degrees here? Do you see this? And I would suggest, why did he said only spare his life? This is revelatory of what kind of a God is working here. At each step of the way, Job is getting caught in the middle of the great controversy between God and, 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 and Satan. And what is God doing here? Why is he stepping in degrees? Why? Any ideas? 
There's something here in the nature of our God that we miss. If it were me, I'd say, do your worst as long as I come out looking good. I would attest to you tonight, this morning that I believe with all my heart that the reason God says gave these limited with these degrees it would have been much easier just to go to the last one and said even take his life and see if he'll curse me in death if God were really only in it to win and this is my statement against demonstrative theology do you know what I mean by that? Some people have answered the, the, the charge of why they're suffering as that God needs to demonstrate. There is a length to which that can be taken that is very sick. And I'll tell you what, I am a sick dad if I let my kids suffer so that people can learn something about me. Are you hearing me to this morning? I'm a sick man. I think that God would not have gone that third degree. We don't know because it's not there. But I think that if it, would come, if it would have come to taking Job's life, we would have seen God acting the same way he always has revealed to us at the cross. No, I'll perish. Let Job live. He would not have sacrificed Job for himself. He would have sacrificed himself for Job. And he is slowly moving in that degree. Only spare his life. So Job, havoc is wreaked once again in Job's life. And then his wife said to him, I wish that wasn't in there. But sorry, ladies. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and what? And die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Job had a different marital relationship with his wife than I do. I couldn't get away with that. But notice what Job says. Shall we, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept what? Who is he still thinking is the source of this? It's him and God here. And what is he saying? In all of this, Job did not, what does it say? Now there's something different here. Now what's being implied? He didn't sin with his lips. But something's what? What's happening? He is starting to really get upset because now he has lost possessions. He has lost his children. And he is now even physically suffering. And now he's saying, yeah, we'll still worship God. Shall we not accept this from him too? But in his heart is there some resentment building now. There's the possibility that it could be. He would be other than human if it weren't. Are you hearing me this morning? But he did not sin against God with his... He did not verbalize it, which says something about the man. Amen? But he was still human. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity, it's amazing what we call our friends, that had come upon him, that each one came from his own place, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. How many? And what are their names? This is important. What are their names? Eliphaz, Bildad, and how many? How, are you sure? How many? Remember their names. What are they? Eliphaz, Bildad, and 
so far. Remember that. You'll see why it's important in a second. They made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes, even at a distance, and did not rec- they did not recognize him, they raised their voices and what? We have no clue what Job was going through. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads towards the sky. I don't know what that meant in their culture. That's kind of weird. It says, then they sat down on the ground and with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word for they saw that his pain was very great. A week goes by and they don't say anything to him. That part, yeah, would have been nice if the next few days went the same. Job chapter 4, we're leaving out a lot of gaps here. But in Job chapter 4, I want you to notice how Eliphaz starts out. Because this is scary. Eliphaz says, Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the what? What's Eliphaz having here? What's he describing? A dream. And what he's about to share with Job... He got in a, now watch, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling made all my bones what? Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. You ever heard someone made the hair on the back of my neck stand up? I stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. See if you can figure out who this is that came to Eliphaz in a dream. Can a man be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust in his servants. And against his angels, he charges error. Oh, that's heavy. Anybody else got goosebumps right now? Who came to Job in the night night season? This is the devil himself. Sorry, Eliphaz, you're right, slip of the tongue. Here comes Satan giving Eliphaz wisdom. And do you know what amazes me? The answers that these three friends are going to give that comes from this dream, those are the answers modern Christianity is giving today as to why human beings suffer. If you go back and read them, and it is nothing but wisdom that comes straight from the devil himself. And do you know what the answer is? There's something in your life that is causing God to treat you this way. Jesus came to this planet, and what kind of a God did he represent God to be? One who sends rain on the and the oh, who is kind to the unthankful and the wicked. Have you read that? Remember we read that at the beginning of the week. But here's a picture that God blesses those who serve him and punishes those who what? Don't. Now I agree that the way of the transgressor is hard. Amen? That all along the path that leads to destruction, God is making it hard for men and women to destroy themselves. Are you with me? But does God treat sinners and believers, does God believe believers and unbelievers the same? Yes. Does he love them both? Yes. Yes. And when you start to do what's wrong, does he make your life a little difficult? Yes. Even though you're a believer. Why? Talk to me so I can let you out. Why? We are running out of time. You're slowing us down. Why? 
Why is he doing it? Because he's out to save, not punish and destroy. He's out to save as many as he can. But here is this picture that if we do something wrong, we need to watch our back because lightning could strike. How many of you know that that picture of God's out in the world? Have you heard it? And when, we, when, when havoc wreaks and is, is wrought in our life, we also immediately look to our performance to see if there's something we've done wrong, to see if God could be punishing us. Do we not? Do we not? Now, what's scary about this wisdom, so-called, is where Job heads with it. Over the next 20-some-odd chapters... Job knows he is blameless, but his friends keep saying, let down the facade, Job. Just admit what you've done. It has to be in secret, Job, because everyone thinks you're pure and holy and right. Just admit it. Just confess it. Just confess. Say, uncle, is basically what they're doing. It could all be over like that. If you'll just, what kind of a picture is that painting of God? He's a terrorist. Just give us what we want. It could all be over like that. Is that really the kind of God we serve? Well, in this, Job begins to justify himself. And if Job's right, and it's only between Job and God, what does that imply? Hello? Think with me this morning. I am not going to spoon feed you. You want spoon fed? Go listen to a different sermon. (laughs) Think with me. Reason with me. Job's justifying himself saying, listen, God's doing this to me. They're saying God only does it to the wicked. Just confess what you've done wrong, Job, so it can stop. Job's saying, I've done nothing wrong. So who is he implying is committing the error here? God. Now he is tarnishing the character of God. Are you with me? He has gone through enough pain that now he is making mistakes and he is saying things about God that aren't true. And so then finally, watch what it says. Then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. And it says, but the anger of Elihu, where'd he come from? There's four now. How many did we think there was? Three, and we named them, do you remember? Now out of nowhere comes this dude, and this guy rocks. Watch. This, it says the family, it says he burned against Job. His anger burned because he justified himself before God. His anger burned against his three friends because they had found no answer. Yet he had con- they had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. I can understand that. And it says, and when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. So the son of Elihu, he spoke out and said, I am young in years and you are old. Therefore, I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. That happens. It says, I wish God would inspire me with that spirit. It says, I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. But it is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The abundant in years may not be wise. That's possible, isn't it? It says, nor may elders understand justice. 
So I say, listen to me. I too will tell you what I think. I waited for your words. I listened with your reasonings while you pondered what to say. I paid close attention to you. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job. Not one of you who has answered his words. I too will answer my share. I also will tell my opinion for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like unvented wine. We don't understand that because we're Adventists. Like new wineskins, it is about to burst. Let me speak that I may get relief. Let me open my lips and answer. Let me now be partial to no one, nor flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Surely, we're skipping verses again, because this is the cliff notes. Surely you have spoken in my hearing. I have heard the sound of your words. I, this is what Job said, and, and, and Elihu here is quoting him. I am what? This is what Job came to. Without what? I am what? There is no in me. Behold, he invents pretexts against me. I haven't sinned. If God punishes those who sinned, God's invented my sin. Do you see what he's beginning to do now? Job is not blameless here. Are you hearing me? He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Elihu says, behold, let me tell you. You are not right in this. For God is greater than man. Why do you complain against him that he does not give an account of all his doings? Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. In a dream or a vision at night, at night when sound sleep falls on men, while they slumber in their beds, they open their e the ears, he opens the ears of men, seals their instruction, that he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from what? He keeps his soul from the what? His life from passing over into what? Sheol. What is Elihu doing here? Talk to me. He's defending God. In Job's arguments, it has become necessary for someone to defend. God has not done evil here, Job. God is out to save man, not punish him. If there's an angel as meteor for him, one out of a thousand to remind a man what is right for him, then let him be gracious to him and say, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his, fresh, his flesh become fresher than in youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then he will pray to God and he will accept him that he may see his face with joy and he may restore his righteousness to a man. He will sing to men and say, I have sinned and perverted what is right and it is not proper for me. He has redeemed my soul from the what? And my life shall see the... Behold, God does all of these oftentimes with men to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. How is, Job be, how is God being painted now? What title would you give him here? Savior. Savior. What title would you have given God from the other three friends? Punisher or destroyer? Stern justice. Elihu continued, hear my words, you wise men, and listen to me, you who know. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose for ourselves what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my what? Right. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do what? From the Almighty to do wrong. He pays a man according to his work and he makes him find it according to his ways. Surely God will not act. How? 
what is Elihu's passion here? To answer the subject of human suffering anymore? He's only in this to defend who? God. Will you condemn the righteous and mighty one? He asks. Then Elihu continued and said, Do you think this is according to justice? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? These are all the pitfalls Job had fell into. And then in Job 38, Job doesn't even get to answer Elihu the last time. Before Job can say anything in response, something miraculous happens. What does it say? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Did the Lord do any of this when the three friends spoke? No. Here comes a man defending who? And it's one step at a time. Notice how we got here. God blesses the righteous, punishes the sinful. You must have sinned and God's punishing you. But I am righteous. No, you must have. No, but I am. No, you must have. And that goes on for enough days. Job slips into, no, I am righteous. God is punishing me unjustly. Do you see where it went? God is punishing me wrongly. God has made a mistake. I haven't done anything. And they're saying, no, Job, just confess. I'm not wrong, Job says. God is. That's where Job slips into. And we need to have mercy on his soul because we haven't been here. We don't know what it's like to suffer like this. But it gets to an unhealthy place in the argument. And Elihu cannot hold his tongue any longer. He says, wait a second. I don't know how to answer this. But God didn't make mistakes. God is not, God is not acting wickedly here. Something's wrong. If this is our line of logic and it comes to a place where we view God incorrectly, something's wrong. And then God steps forward and answers it. And most people have this idea, and i got to wrap this up. Most people have this idea that God just comes in and says, Listen, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Sit down. Shut up, Job. And Job says, Oh, okay. Now I understand. And we walk away saying, I don't understand at all. What does Job understand? It, we have this picture that God just intimidates Job back into obedience. But that's not what God does at all. Look what God says. Who's this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Gird your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Can you hunt the prey? Circle this word. For the lion. Satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair. Who prepares, circle this word, for the raven its nourishment. When its young cry to God and wander about with food. Do you know the time of the mountain goats that give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill? Or do you know the time they give birth? They kneel down. They bring forth their young. They get rid of their labor pains. Their offspring become strong. They grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return to them. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. What is God saying here? He's not saying, do you just know where the lightning dwells? Do you know where the clouds reside? Do you know where the snow, the storehouses of the snow is? Is, is that what he's saying? Am I, just, I am much bigger than you. Just shut up, Job. Is that what he's saying? I don't even think he's saying that. Because he is answering to him. And we're going to see he is. He does humble himself to give Job a decent answer here in the book, bottom of the book. But we don't understand it because we're not in the Canaanite culture. And I'm going to show it to you in the 10 minutes we have left. God is not bullying Job here. He's saying, listen, I, every good and perfect gift is from above. 
Do you take care of the animals? Do you provide rain in its due season? I am the caregiver, not the destroyer. I am him from whom comes life. You have not seen me correctly, Job. You receive good from my hand, but not adversity. I give. I am not the one here that is taken away. That's what he's saying. And then Job said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? Whether God is trying to overpower Job or not, if God were speaking to you, would you feel a little sheepish? No, no, God, please, you go on. I, he says it. I've said enough. I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken, I'll not answer even twice. I will add nothing more. I'm done, God. You speak. It's your turn. God says, adorn yourself with eminence. No, sorry. Gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, you instruct me. God is not being cocky here. What you're about to hear is God humbling himself before Job and saying, if you have a better way, then Job, teach me. That is a humble God, is it not? Job, if you have a better way, instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified, Job? If there's a better way, and watch where, Job go, where God goes. Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity. Close yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. Look on everyone who is proud. Make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in their dust together. Bind them in their hidden place. He's saying, sure, go ahead and act the way that you think I'm treating you. Please, wipe out the wicked. Wipe out those that are hurting you. Isn't that what we've said many times when we're suffering at the hands of others? Do you think God held, that Job held some grudges against those that had killed his children? Go ahead, wipe out the wicked. But what does he say at the end? If you can do this, then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save what? We are so quick to punish those that have wronged us, to ask God to do that. If God should step forth and do this and wipe out sinners, I ask you, would that destruction stop at your door? Do you hear what he's saying to Job? I'm not in this to destroy, I'm in this to save. You're not seeing this correctly. You're thinking I'm doing this. Behold now, and this is where the tide tide turns. Behold now what? Oh, and I have spent all this time to get to right here. This is it. Can someone tell me who behemoth is? What behemoth is? Which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength in his, lo- in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a what? Cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of what? His limbs are like bars of what? Iron. Some say that's a dinosaur. No, it's not. The ancient Canaanite writings have now been discovered through archaeology and they have been translated into English. And if you'll go read them, I'll recommend a book for you. It's called God God at War by Gregory Boyd. If you'll go back and look, there is archaeological evidence now to prove that in the Canaanite religion, which was the time period and culture of Job, if God would have said to Job, I haven't done this to you, Satan has. What would Job have said? Who's that? Remember, Satan didn't come about, that name didn't come about till much later. This is the first book of the, Moses never uses the word Satan in any of his writings. He even calls it a serpent in Genesis. The name Satan doesn't come along till way, 
But there was two Canaanite gods. One was responsible for all the pain and suffering that took place on land. The other was responsible for all the pain and suffering that took place on, at, on the seas. It is interesting to note the name of these two gods. They were the ones where all pain and suffering came from. Do you know what the one, the one who's the god of the land, do you know what his name was? Behemoth. And do you know what the god of the seas was? Leviathan. And God is now saying, consider now who? You thought this was between me and you, that I was doing this to you because of your behavior. Job, let me pull back the veil and show you what happened at the beginning of the book and where all this came from. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. You've done nothing wrong, Job, but I'm not punishing you unjustly. Have you considered there's someone else at work here in your life, not me? Look now to Behemoth. He is the first of the ways of what? Now we believe that Satan was the first thing that God created and he was also the first in heaven before his rebellion. Do we not? And that's what the Hebrew here implies. That it is first chronologically and in authority or position. Let his maker bring him, bring near, his, bring him near his sword. Then he says, can you draw out who? Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? He will make many supplications to you, will speak to you soft words. He will make a covenant with you. Will, will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him with your maidens? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his, fish with, his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him, and this is key. Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. What is he saying to Job? He's saying, can you instruct me, please? Can you tell me a better way to do it? If you think that I'm not handling him correctly here, if you think I had any other option here, if you think you can do it better, then by all means, Job, please, you try to defeat Leviathan. You put a hook through his nose. You make him your pet. You conquer the enemy, Job. You settle the great controversy, but touch him once, Job. And I promise you, you will never forget it. And you will never do it again. Job, I am open to better options if you know of any. But I promise you, I am handling him the best way I know how. And that is a very humble God at the end of the book of Job, is it not? God is not saying, sit down, shut up, I'm bigger than you. He's saying, I am doing it in the best possible way. But in warfare, there are casualties. And I am sorry. I am sorry. The last description, he looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Who is Leviathan? And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things. This is amazing. You can do it, God. Now I trust you. You can do it. You can win. You can win in the grave. You can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who, where does he begin to trust again? Who does he begin to trust again in? He starts to see there's a third element. Do you see that? And all that when we suffer, we would understand there's a third element. That sometimes there are things God wants to prevent, but he what? 
There's a bigger picture here. And he begins to say, God, you can do it. You can do it. Your will will not be thwarted. You're going to win, God. Who is that that hides counsel with knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I didn't understand. I spoke when I didn't understand, God. Do you see what he's saying? Now he's saying, no, God, you're right. You're right. I see it. You can do. I I talked when I didn't understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know here now. And I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of your ears. But now my eyes, what? They see you. Now Job understands. Therefore, I what? I retract. I retract. I repent in dust and ashes. I have given you three verses there where Leviathan is mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures by other authors. In Job, it came about after that the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends. You spoke what was given to you in a dream by the devil himself, because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take yourself seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up burnt offerings for yourself. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not may not do with you according to your folly or because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they went and did as the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. The Lord has blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And after this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons and his grandsons and four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. I would like to suggest to you that the book of Job contains more than what we've assumed. That God does, in the end of the book, pull back and say, there's a third party involved. And this time it was the devil. It was someone else's will. But could it be possible that when we suffer, it is neither God's will for you to suffer, it is neither your will for you to suffer, but it's the will of some third party doing this to us against our will, whether it be the devil or another human. Is that possible uh, from the book of Job? It would seem that the book of Job is actually supporting every conclusion we came to last night. Not contesting it, but actually supporting it. Can you see that this morning? And you can only see it if you understand who those Canaanite gods are in the end that God brings to his attention. How many were blessed by this? I know the entertainment value was low this morning. I know that. We didn't laugh as much as we usually do at night, and we didn't cry as much as we normally do. But we did some good old-fashioned Bible study. Is that okay for church? Can Can we study the Bible once in a while? I know it's not as entertaining, but I hope that you have some foundation now for what we discussed yesterday evening. Tonight's our last talk. Remember last Saturday night I said it was the most important presentation of the week, and then we never got to it? How many remember that? Well, I've saved it for this evening. Yeah. Please don't miss tonight. I know there's not much room left in here. But my, I, I wish that everyone could hear what we're going to be looking at this evening. So please, if you've got someone you can bring, please bring a friend. Come back. We're going to be looking at what I consider to be the clearest picture of God ever given to the human race. And what that in, changes inside of us to go and share with the world. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath. Let's pray. Precious Father, go with us now. May we enjoy this day for what it was intended. 
Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here.